Welcome to the Evolution Exchange podcast, bringing together the best technical leaders to talk about the industry passions and challenges that they are facing. I'm Ollie Stockford from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, helping businesses connect with top tech talent, and today I am your host. So today we're going to be discussing the topic on recruiting and building a culture of innovation within sports technology. And I'm delighted to be joined by Robin Kent from R Sports, Graham Barber from Athlete.co, AJ Jojo from Franzi, and Francisco Baptiste from Team Sports. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Robin, do you want to kick us off with a brief introduction, please? <clears throat> yeah, sure. So my name is Robin Kent. I am the CEO and president of R Sports. Uh, I spend most of my life in advertising, so I'm a bit of a tech fraud in that I am not the technical guy, but I think I understand enough to be dangerous. And R Sports is a global uh, platform for registration, management, scoring of events for international sports federations. Thank you, Robin. Uh, Graham? Yeah, good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm Graham. I'm the founder and CEO of Athlete.co. Um, and we create sports-specific training programs. So if you are a swimmer and you want to get stronger to perform better in the water, then we work with um, swimming, uh, strength and conditioning and performance coaches to help you do that. And likewise for football, rugby, uh, combat sports and, and various different sports that we're, we're currently working with at the moment because it's all it's very different, you know, sports-specific strength and conditioning. So that's what we do. Um, and it's a real passion of mine. It's um, actually... It all it all started from an injury. I had a quite a serious back injury, um, and actually worked with a coach that really transformed me and my training, um, and that really led to what I do now at, at Athlete.co. Great, thank you, Graham. AJ. Yeah, hi guys. Uh, so I'm AJ. Uh, I I am the CEO and for co-founder at Fancy Labs. So what we do is we are a 360 degree fan engagement solution for sports and entertainment organizations, and we leverage the power of gamification and blockchain to deliver the same. So we work with a bunch of different clubs currently and with a few esports organizations and we are continuously expanding and we are VC backed as things stand. Yeah, that's pretty much it about Fancy Labs. Yeah. Thank you, AJ. And last but not least, Francisco. Hey, hello, morning. Uh, yes, I'm Francisco. I'm the founder of Team Sports. Uh, Team Sports is a sports platform that uh, is bringing sports technology or elite sports technology to everyone. Uh, a bit of my background, unlike Robbie, I really like to write code, and I did since I was uh, who God knows when. But also, I'm a basketball player, still playing Hertfordshire at Division One, and so team sports is really a combination of seeing, you know, my needs as a player, as part of a team, and not having access to sports technology that could help us stay organized, could help us train, and could help us understand what happened in the game instead of sort of that match of today, sort of statistics that feels like a holy grail, but actually can be available to everyone and that is what team sports is doing and bringing to everyone um i think as a as a, a differentiator it's really our ai algorithm so the train aspect is an, an ai algorithm that lives on an app that tracks human movement without requiring any video analysis of the player itself or, or store that video in, in a cloud so it's very private uh, and they enables to extract data remote training which is fantastic during lockdown post-season etc yeah as team sports, yeah. Fantastic. Um, a really good bunch of leaders. So we're in for a, a fantastic episode. So thank you all there for your introductions. And let's move on to the topic in, in focus then. So we've all been discussing separately a question or statement on recruiting and building a culture of innovation in sports tech. 
as usual, I'll work around the room asking you to give your thoughts on the question that we agreed individually um, and give your reasons behind it. Each of you will also have the opportunity to give your take on each question too. So let's start with AJ. AJ, your question was, how do you balance the need for innovation with the need for stability and reliability in the sports industry? Um, and also, what's, what are some strategies for managing this balance effectively? Thanks, Ollie. So there are some things that are unique to the sports industry and some which are not. So one of the things that are not is the fact that it does require innovation and just like any other industry, and it can't be afford to be left behind. But that's uh, seldom uh, seldom acknowledged in public and we just keep going, moving forward like dinosaurs in many cases. But yeah, it is a reality and it's hardly ever acknowledged. But what's unique to it, of course, is that it's extremely public-facing in Stuart's sense. Uh, you spend a lot of time thinking about these organizations, like our clubs, like what, what we were discussing just before this before our podcast about how our clubs are doing and all of that. So they're very much part of your cultural and social fabric. And the other aspect is that there are gatekeepers here. So those who you need to work with in order to access the most valuable properties. So if it's the fans of a particular club, then it's the club that is the gatekeeper. Uh, if it's the clubs themselves, that is the leagues, the federations, and they are all very much risk averse because backlash is often severe and very directed. And the worst part of it is that they've always been on the receiving end quite often. So they very much know what it is, unlike many other tech founders, etc. So whatever solution that is proposed needs to keep these aspects in mind. And mostly that's if you were to condense it, that would be two basic things. That is one, it has to be stable and something that works well. And second, it can't be all that disruptive. So while for most tech folks, disruption is the holy grail. We want to disrupt everything and change things for the better. Uh, but that's not so much the case in stability is way more coveted. And disruption just makes that journey towards implementation that much harder. In many cases, uh, it would just alarm certain stakeholders who have been there for a long, long time. Uh, and it could be one, uh, it could be a solution that proposes to make them redundant. And that just that makes it just harder to pass that through the whole value chain. So imagine a sieve, then another sieve, another sieve, and uh, you really need to go about finding the path of least resistance. So, so how how do you go about fixing these problems or potentially strategies in order to make it faster? Based on our, my experience the past year working with a lot of clubs and federations, is that it's always best to pilot your ideas with uh, with stakeholders who are just willing to work with you and are hungry. And they are, they are clubs themselves. They might not be the uh, the biggest names, but they might be the ones who really want to make a difference and have gotten into the gotten into the sports because and they don't have that baggage and the sponsors and all of these different things to uh, negotiate with. And second is the one that I truly believe is very important in the space is this concept of incremental innovation. So you have to build up to it, even though it all makes sense in your head and you know where you want to get. You still have to show that patience and and keep moving with. Uh, step by step when it comes to implementation. So yeah, so at the end of the day, like whatever innovation it is, either has to bring value across the chain, that means from the club to the, their stakeholders, to their fans, etc., or be completely independent of that ecosystem at large. So that's usually not the case, the latter. So you will have to find a way to work with them and these strategies could potentially help you there. But it's an extremely exciting space and uh, something that requires a lot of navigation, but wholly rewarding once you do it. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you very much, AJ. Has anyone ever got any thoughts on that? Um, any any uh, pointers, Robin? Yeah, well, I just wanted to say, I mean, um, <clears throat> fully agree with AJ. 
And it actually, when he was talking, it reminded me about why we started our sports. So I was living in America at the time. My partner and I were investing in a number of companies and we had a small investment in our sports, which at the time was a software for managing a, a roller skating rink in San Diego. Um, and I basically said to my partner, having traveled the world in advertising, being a sports nut, um, there is an opportunity. Uh, if this if this product does what it says it can do, there's <laughs> a different story. But if it says it can do what it says it can do, then there is a global opportunity for amateur sports because amateur sports are not well serviced with technology. The professional sports, they have it all. But when it comes down to, to the amateur sports, um, less so. So last night I was on a call with the president from one of the big um, Olympic recognized federations. <clears throat> and they started off talking about what they want what they want to do. I mean, at the moment we're in over a hundred countries uh, with them and the platform is being used for regist registering all members and going on to events. But they keep talking about that I, I need to do more innovative stuff and be more like TikTok. And I explained to them, the way you need to look at it, guys, is I am the electricity cables in the wall. You're the light bulb, right? You're not selling our sports. You're selling your own product. What we're then doing is helping you collect all that data, collect the money, and you know help you achieve your ambitions. It's not our role to do that. And some and sometimes there is a disconnect between what these people understand and what they think you do and what they require. And I wouldn't mind, but we've been working with them for three years. <laughs> so fantastic. Yeah, so uh, you know, I I I definitely agree with that. I'm looking forward to seeing you on a, a TikTok episode coming up next, Robert. That's coming up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Graham, have you got anything to add to that? Would you say? Yeah, I think in terms of innovation itself, I think I I quite like to look at innovation and just try and try to make it into a, a process, just like any other within the business. So, um, and the way I like to to view it really is, you know, do you give it a regular time in the diary every week at, as part of a weekly meeting? It's a point on the agenda, or it has it's it's its own standalone meeting. But I think it needs to be diarized to set a set, you know, potentially, and you just create the process of bringing the right people and the right information together and with the sole purpose of innovating. And it can be across all areas of the business and you can prioritize those, you know, is, is it sales, is it marketing, is it operation, whatever it might be. But I just, I feel like it's, you know, systems within businesses um, or, or, you know, once, once it can become systemized and part of a process, then it can be measured and managed and grown and everything else. So. Oh, that's that's just one way that I like to approach innovation. Wow, brilliant. Thanks for that, Graham. Uh, Francisco? Yeah, uh, look, so much to be said here uh, from AJ and Robin, Graham. Um, so we actually started with innovation, just touch your point of just going back to the innovation. So we started Team Sports building an ultra-wideband tracker, so wearable, with sensors around the court. They could track athletes running around under like 10 centimeters, so 100 times better than the GPS, uh, obviously indoors. Um, and then we sort of pivoted in into into AI and computer vision machine learning to enable athletes to train remotely, you know, a lot propelled by the lockdown. Um, but also what we have found, you know, to AJ's point was that innovation needed to be complemented with very basic things, sort of 
you know, what are our matches, you know, who's attending, who's not attending, sort of, you know, what is it, what is their attendance management? Um, and so, so, and so we evolved from that. I, I can see that, you know, that the, the industry, uh, we all agree that the, the grassroots and sort of amateur um, sports clubs and teams, which is space are very largely underserved. Um, and, and they are underserved because either they've got very single solutions doing bits and bobs, but those solutions are not talking to one another. And then effectively they sort of uh, price themselves out or market themselves out uh, because they, they can't really fulfill the needs of the club. Um, and, uh, but also, I, we, we, we also noticed that innovation will enable us to get into market and say, look, we are here doing something absolutely different. We deploy an, an AI piece of technology on your phone, is private. We don't record a video of you doing it. We only care about the data and the performance, and your coach can access that data. So that innovation enables us to establish sort of a, a, a route to market, an entry to market, and a presence. Um, you know, continuous innovation. That I, I do agree, it needs to be measured up with everything else, with all the other needs. And what we found out is that the clubs actually, whilst they want players to stay active and remote off season and sort of in rehab, etc., remotely. Um, sometimes they actually lack the resources to be able to deliver those those trainings. They want to be there and they they desire to be there, but they actually don't have anyone that can actually deliver a plan. Even though the solution enables you coaches and trainers to deliver a plan, a training, a remote training plan. Um, so it needs to be balanced out with actually sort of piecemeal and sort of more basic um, uh, tech to 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 support them. Otherwise, yes, you become sort of this amazing tech, which is Yes, grassroots can use it, but actually they don't really fully understand. They don't understand the AI. They sort of, they, it's like, what, what is this? Is this recording a video? Is this, uh, and, and sort of you get caught up in sort of the tech itself, uh, whilst, you know, they're more interested in sort of um, help me with some problems. I don't even know what problems I have, but I need help uh, to get there. But, but yeah. Fantastic. AJ, you've got something to add, sorry. Yeah, Thank you for yeah. I quite, uh, yeah, thanks, uh, Francisco. Uh, quite resonated with that. In many cases, it, it always is the case that you might just have like five meetings with a club official, but he's already decided it's all about getting some sponsorship out of this, even though it's a solution provider. So we do, we do, we do the whole song and dance, but in the end, they don't really care about the solution. It's, it's just the bottom line, which is like, how much would you pay us uh, so you could implement the solution for? Us. And I'm like, but we were having such a wonderful conversation all this while. But if this was all you needed, we could have ended it a long time back. But that's and there's also the vice versa in many cases where there is a lot of intention, but just not the resources to implement it. Like when we keep thinking of clubs as the largest clubs with all of these different departments, but in many cases I've worked with clubs that just has one person in the marketing team, so he just cannot do all of these different things despite the 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 need to do it and you kind of have to understand that and keep moving because they are probably struggling with the fact that they need to keep uh renew their sponsors so that they can put a team out there next season so it's a completely different spec uh space when it comes to grassroots football then it comes to like the smaller clubs and the larger clubs so yeah so it is a very segmented difficult to navigate but like i said like once you kind of figure out the hook for each of these different uh different markets it's a lot easier uh, but you have to kind of create value across the chain. The less, the more disruptive it is uh, for people and the stakeholders within that decision-making process, the less likely it is that your solution will get implemented. And this, of course, you throw bags of money. Yeah, you can't probably do that. <laughs> Perfect.
Thank you very much, guys, for all your inputs on that. We really need longer than an hour with all these great inputs, so I appreciate it. And Graham, we'll, we'll come to you next. Uh, so your question was, uh, what advice would you give to someone who is looking to build a career in sports tech? A really good question here. Um, and also to add to that, what are some of the key skills and qualities that they should focus on developing in order to be successful within the industry? Over yeah, to you, Graham. Brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, I, so I made some notes for this one, and and you know, point number one was was passion, and and I think it comes across straight away if it's um, something that someone is passionate about. So you know, you, I guess people have lots of different options now for career paths and and career development, and um, and I think it's really important just to for people to pursue something that they're passionate about. And for for founders and and people who might be hiring to really look for that passion in people as well, because I think if if that passion and that attitude is there, then then everything else can hopefully just fall into place behind it. And you know, a lot of the time I hear people talk about um, you know hiring with hiring for attitude, and because everything else can be taught and you know skills can be developed, but that attitude and that passion I think is really important. So. So I think advice to give people who are looking to build a career in sports technology, you know, is it is it really something that you're passionate about? And um, some of the key skills and qualities that I think people should focus on developing uh, in order to be successful is really developing that kind of growth mindset, that kind of positive attitude, can-do attitude, and really just kind of a growth mindset um, that you that you bring to the table in all circumstances. Um, and I think as as an extension to that, I one of the things I really look for is just having this solution orientated thinking. So you might have identified a problem, um, but before sometimes before you've even raised it as a as a problem that you've identified, have a think about two or three potential solutions and what they might look like in reality. Um, you know, say an, an example is if you have a weekly a weekly team meeting. And in between meetings, someone's identified a problem. But by the time you, by the time that problem gets aired in the next week's team meeting, two or three solutions have already been investigated, and and you're you're coming at this. You're already talking about the solutions, even though the problems only just come to your attention. And I think just having that kind of that that kind of attitude towards things, um, I think that's something that I definitely look for, um, and I think is a really valuable skill and quality in people. And, it, and it's kind of entrepreneurial in a way, I think, as well, having that kind of entrepreneurial kind of mindset, those skills and qualities about solving problems um, and getting solutions in place. And I think the last thing I would I would kind of look for is if they are really passionate about sports and sports technology and they do have these this kind of growth mindset, then do they have something else that they can lean into? You know, do they do something on the side as a personal kind of project that that kind of really demonstrates their passion? You know, do they have a blog about a sport that they're particularly interested in? Do they have a social media page about um, you know something that they do that's that's related in their spare time? You know, do they participate in a sport? Do they compete in a sport? It's I think it's almost having something almost e extracurricular that they can almost lean into that really kind of um, that really kind of helps to solidify them and their potential um, suitability for a role that you might be looking to hire for. So that's just some of my thinking around around that. Perfect. Thank you, Graham. AJ, would you add anything to that? Yeah. So 
one of the things that I did notice when it comes to, uh, since we do have a lot of cross-functional teams, is the fact that when we are hiring, we also need good communicators. Because very rarely, because the industry is such that it's constantly changing. The problems that you've once have figured answers to are no longer there, or someone else has done it much better. So you kind of have to pivot and kind of figure out things. And you need to take your team along with, with you. So many cases, like, as a CEO, like in many cases, when it comes to issues in the organization itself, it's because of a lack of communication. Because you could have your business development team that does not uh, does not communicate directly with your content team, and they might just be in two different spaces and with different priorities. So having some uh, having people who can actually empathize and also communicate with each other is quite important on that front. And another thing is also patience, because this is not a fast moving industry in that sense. So as as much as you want to be relentless and pound away every day, you also need to be patient knowing that it would give away in the future, not immediately. So you need people who have that resilience and also that patience to go along with that. That would be pretty much it. But I completely concur with everything that Graham just spoke about. Like having that passion is the base for everything because not, this is a very unforgiving industry in that sense. You kind of have to have that love for sports to be in here because they're much better paying and much more uh, career-oriented industries elsewhere. And that's something that you need to grind through. So, yeah. Fantastic. Thank you, AJ. Uh, Francisco, would you add anything to that as well? Yeah, definitely. We keep it simple. So I play basketball. If you f- first requirement to join team sports is you have, must have been played basketball. It's kind of as simple as that. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> you know, is that, that's the focus. And if you understand the sports, uh, I think uh, is easy. If you played, if you coached, and actually uh, only one developer now who's a climber he's not a basketball player everyone else in the team played coach or somehow we've been involved in basketball and and i and i think and i think i think there's sort of uh some ways to get to that soft skills and the attitude but also that that problem solving if you if you play sports and team sports you have got some of that resilience sort of built in you you've got some of those qualities that sort of are transferable between uh, sports and, and and business and 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 it starts from there. But yeah, there are a few other tests we we do in our onboarding to 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 sort of ascertain exactly the attitude that uh, to to work. But yeah, perfect. Thank you, Francisco. I'll uh, take note of that for future reference about playing basketball or the need to have played it. Thank you, Francisco. Uh, Robin, would you add anything to that? Finally, yeah, I'd add a, a couple of things. Um, I mean, the passion thing is so important, as you say. It's an anti-social business because most amateur sports is played in the weekends. So, you know, you've got to accept that many of your weekends are going to be disrupted with either bug fixing or actually, um, in many of our cases, you know, on location, managing, scoring, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, we we work with about 50 different sports, so I don't expect everybody to, to understand in-depth knowledge of every sport. But what I do know about all of our people i know who plays chess i know who plays frisbee i know who plays football i know who's passionate about things like silly things like pickleball for example and who's into martial arts but for example one of our guys who's a uh, hockey player um he manages a martial one of our martial arts clients so he knows everything there is to know about hockey from his passion a bit like you know with francesco and basketball but he also has now a very deep knowledge of um, uh, martial arts. And I, and I think that's become so important because 
it's one of the reasons that we never outsource any tech or any any management because I need my I need my people to have a passion also for the sport that they play, but also the sport that they're involved in at that time. So yeah, I would endorse everything everybody said there. Thank you, Robin, and again, thank you all for your input on that question. Moving on, Francisco. Uh, Please give your thoughts to the question that we've been discussing. So um, your question was, what are some key skills and qualities that you look for when recruiting for a sports tech role? And how do you assess these skills during the hiring process? Sure. Um, um, I think I, I would step back and say, you need to understand that businesses have got different phases. And in some phases, you might need uh, more specialists and more generalists. At the beginning, generally, generalists sort of are, are, are the right fit for a business and fewer specialists. However, team sports is a tech business, so hiring software engineers for specific skills, it is it is bed and butter. I'm a software engineer myself, and so that's easy to assess. Uh, you know, during onboarding or sort of you know, very first features that that as a developer you 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 will be tasked to do. Having said that, um, we we do other things which we now sort of embedding into our culture in team sports that help ascertain sort of attitude to work. They help us attain sort of that passion. Um, so, for example, so any request, bug fix or, or support request that comes into Team Sports, into our app or or, or platform, goes into into a backlog, sort of a, a Trello board automatically. No matter if you respond that directly or whomever responds, that creates a backlog, and everyone in Team Sports owns that backlog. And every week they need to pick up a card. And introduce themselves to whomever reached out to us, just to say, "Hey, I am, you know, the Argentinian software engineer, Team Sports. Just want to introduce myself to you. And if you've got any more questions, you know, here's a link. Give us some feedback, or whatever it might be. And I and I think that um, really helps understand the the people that and 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 sort of you know separate the people that have got that broader view of what the business is and, and the needs also close that gap between you know who are our users and you know what do you do and sort of how you that impacts um and really and and i can literally just sit back and observe that conversation and the tone of that conversation and the attitude there and the back and forward and you start realizing so who has that sort of generalist view who is keen to be doing what they do and understand also how they work really impacts the life of of clubs and coaches and, and players that provided some feedback or reported about Aisha. Um, also now onboarding, um, everyone needs to come in and sort of just get involved into the backlog, into the product and, uh, and sort of sketch files and, uh, and trying to, to literally digest sort of how the product evolved and throughout all the many Figma files. So you're not really tasked to do anything, but really understand the product and start contributing and start figuring out, uh, run through all the journeys from a player, from a coach, from a club, uh, and all the way around. And 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 there are many journeys there on the platform, and everyone has to do those, those journeys, which sort of enables them to really get involved in the product, discover the product, but also gives that sense of. Uh, to me, as a founder, I want to understand if you are someone that wants to be sort of in your cocoon and your speciality and your your task, or you are someone that can step out of the of the box and be able to solve other problems. Um, those those little things that really um, um, showcase 
the, the people that can step out of their role and think more sort of, I'm the employee number four, I'm the employee number five, I'm not the marketing person, I'm not the salesperson, I'm not the, the techie, I'm the employee number two. And I think there is some value to that, in particular at the stage that we are on. I think that obviously that is a, that is business have got multiple stages and you, at some point, you might need more sort of specialists. But this is when, to AJ's point, where the communication becomes key. When you grow, suddenly sort of you've got these specialist sections or, or disciplines and sort of how do you communicate effectively across. Um, we're not there yet, so we tend to think, look, you are employee number, number three, yes, you hire because of your basketball experience or your, your marketing and selling experience. But actually, you know, we, you know, um, everything is open to everyone and team sports. And this is sort of, again, another aspect of our culture that sort of helps and get people sort of understand exactly what it, what is like to be in team sports. So everything is open to you from the moment you join in. There is no hidden Slack groups. There is no, you know, you will have access to the sales. You have access to the data rooms. You have access to the marketing sales you know, tech business decks, you know, Figma files, everything is available to you. So we, we say that we, we start from a place of trust. We trust you, you come here, you come here because you want to and you're going to make a difference. So therefore, you need to have everything uh, at your disposal to do so. And those things really help understand, you know, and, and hire the right people. And we also iterate a lot through 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 people. And and I think that's a good thing, really. We're too small to let things sort of fester for a long time. So if if things are if people are not the right fit for us and not right fit for the team, we sort of sort of move on uh, because you know we, we just can't afford at this stage uh, to make mistakes. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks, Francisco. AJ, would you add anything to that briefly? Yeah. So so one of the things that we we we've grown from a to a team of almost 30 now so there's been a lot of hiring that's happened in the past one year so i mean one of the things that quite helps when it comes to recruiting is also to test them like it's fairly standard everyone has tests during their recruitment process but for us what we've found is that if we are trying to test the skills based on some of the problems that we are facing currently so it helps avoid a bias that we often feel when we see the results and then we would put ourselves in their shoes and be like oh yeah i could have easily thought about this problem so it kind of helps you benchmark what they could really add to your existing output. So like I said, it's of course, it's a very standard process, but like having them solve problems that you're currently facing is a good way for us to kind of know that, yeah, okay, this person is going to be adding value on that front. And a lot of other points that what Francisco mentioned in terms of transparency, in terms of being able to uh, create a culture where people are communicating with each other, knowing what the company is up to is definitely important. But this is just something that I felt like while I was thinking about the question itself that, yeah, like how could you just make it a little bit better? Because we did not do this earlier and we had very different results because there was also always someone who, who felt that, okay, yeah, this is fairly obvious, but it wasn't obvious because we hadn't thought about the solution. So then that benchmarking process really helps. That's perfect. Thank you, AJ. Robin, anything to add there? Uh, yeah, a few things. I mean, the culture thing is so important. Um, you know, and I, I give you one example based on my uh, my business partner. He sold one of his first businesses for hundreds of millions of dollars, a lucky man. And But what he did was he gave 20% of the money to the staff. And there was probably 100 staff or however many... He didn't have to do that. It wasn't in their contracts. Um, and it's he's the that's the kind of guy he is. And he's brought that, helped bring that culture. And I bring, you know, an advertising uh, culture to it where 
you know, everybody has to participate. I want I want our tech people to be able to speak to clients. Um, I want them to go to events. Uh, it may not be their favorite sport, but they've got to be there and they've got to spend a weekend there and all things like that. So we, we involve everybody in everything. I absolutely concur with that. Perfect. Thank you, Robin. And last but not least on this question, Graham, any thoughts to add here? Yeah, not a lot that hasn't been covered already, but I think one of the things that I've really noticed in in my own sort of hiring process is really just to to trust your gut instinct. And I think I've I have found in my experience that you can you can know very soon if someone's actually going to really work out or not. Even the first day, I have had I've had experiences where you actually know on day one if they're going to work or not. Um, and I think and I think to come back to Francisco's point, I think that he made towards the end is just you've got to just act fast on that as well. I think for everyone's sake, it's there's no point. Um, you know, as founders, you can't be going down a path that your your gut is just telling you is not going to it's just not going to work because it costs time, money, and effort on everyone's part just to try and make something work that ultimately you're just trying to force something. So I think really I've just I've really learned to listen to that gut instinct when something is telling me. Um, so I think that's the only thing I'd add to lots of great points already made. Perfect. Thank you very much. Um, okay, moving on. So. Um, Robin, your question was, what are some of the biggest challenges that face sports tech companies in terms of talent acquisition and retention? And how are companies addressing these challenges? Right. Um, so I'll I, I use a couple of clients as examples. Um, so we have a very big American client that have their own in-house tech people, but not many of them. There's, I think there's probably two. Uh, they probably should have 20. Why don't they have 20? It's because they're in an environment where um, everybody around them doesn't really understand what they do. You know, having tech people in an environment surrounded by marketing people, salespeople, um, whatever they want to call themselves, people that work across, you know, multiple sports, they don't understand the role of these people. And so the, the recent example we've had is where we've worked for this client for a number of years, but now we're expanding to take on all of their sports. And, you know, they've said to us, well, okay, well, we'll get rid of our tech people. And we're like, whoa, 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 no, no. We need that, those two guys because they know everything. I mean, they create something like, I don't know, 200 reports, 200 reports a week for, you know, the management across the whole of the USA and all the different sports. But they're not appreciated because A, they're not understood. And secondly, they're not appreciated because they may have had some conversations where they've been asked a question, well, you know, what resource do you need? Well, we need this, this, this. No, we can't afford that. And then suddenly they don't even get spoken to anymore. So we're now in a scenario where we're working with the management and we're following what we want to do. And at the same time, we're helping protect the jobs of these people that are in place because they're just not understood internally. So that that's that's one example. We work with a, um, a football federation down in Asia and it's a similar thing, but it's, it's a different scenario where they have some tech people that, you know, the standards could be, let's say they could be higher in the sense that they keep finding reasons not to launch or do something. And the reasons are absolutely ridiculous, but there's a fear. And again, they're not understood by the people above them. So they cannot explain 
what they want to do. They find it difficult to explain to us what they want to do. So, you know, we're, we're facing all of these different situations in, in, in different places. But on a, a different perspective, a more positive one is, um, and I'll say which clients. So we work with IFMA, which is the worldwide um, Muay Thai Federation. And we have built for them a state-of-the-art scoring system that can now be worked remotely. It's all, it used to be, used to have cables to connect everything. We don't need any of that now. So there can be a tournament in Thailand and we can run it from, you know, um, America. Uh, and the thing about that, though, is you could never have done that unless our guys had spent time on the ground with a client at these events, seeing how everything works. You can't sit back in isolation and go, oh, I'll create your solution. And that brings me on to what for me was a very important point. When we eventually decided to invest more money in our sports, we had to get rid of the CTO and we had to get rid of the head of, head of product management because they refused to speak to clients. Their view was we will build something and it will work for everybody. You know, and having come from advertising and a client servicing background, um, that was an anathema to me because how do you know what the client wants? I mean, it's not TikTok. If it were TikTok, I get it. You create something no one's ever heard of. But we're talking about a sports platform that is meant to help these people have a better experience. And, you know, we had to fire them because they literally... Um, decided the path they wanted to go down, which was incredibly dangerous. So, you know, all of those things um, come together in terms of making this difficult. And I, that's why I say in the beginning, you know, we don't do any outsourcing. I'm, I suffer every day from an avalanche of emails from all around the world, people telling me they've got the greatest tech people, um, you know, they can solve all of my problems. And it's an absolute nightmare. They all now go into spam. I do not want to hear from somebody that I that I haven't met or haven't hired. So I would say that you know those are those are some of the biggest challenges that that we face is education, understanding, um, openness to to trying new things. Yeah, that would be that was it. Yeah. Thoughts on that? Brilliant. I've got my initial reach out and go to spam, and that's why we're here today. Um, you, still, you, you keep going about TikTok, though, Robin. I'm expecting this TikTok episode coming out soon. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> um, any, <laughs> has anyone got any thoughts to add to, to that point that Robin made? Um, AJ, we'll start with you. Yeah, I think uh, one of the big threats to the whole uh, finding skilled talent when, when it comes to sports industries is the fact that there's so many other opportunities for skilled talent and it's generally not the industry that is considered to be streamlined for growth opportunities at an individual level which makes it easier for people to switch industries etc so once you're in sports you're considered to be the sports guy and then you can't really move like when i was in the nba no one was really trying to they love to do the projects with sports companies and clubs yes but in the end, they wanted to be a consultant or something of that sort because people want to have that stability and that is not something that the sports industry is known for. So at some point, you need to kind of build a brand-specific nature uh, that is about, uh, that is kind of distinct from the industry in itself. Not So it has to be something that really focuses on providing those low growth and learning opportunities to these people because and also not have that uh, be averse to hiring people from a different industry. 
and kind of give them that opportunity to learn, unlearn, and try to come in together and work with work with you on what is best for the company. So that is definitely important. It's not the most nurturing space. It's not. There's always those kind of blockers when it comes to I. If I'm a sports guy, I need to work with a sports person. That's in my experience. That's not usually been the case. Uh, but yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, I'm not talking about the fact that you should be passionate about sports, but the fact is that a lot of people do not have the opportunity to work in sports, and they might be making that switch now. And that's a brave decision, and kind of need to support them in that. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much it in that sense because we kind of need to be that for for a lot of uh, skilled talent to come into the industry. Yeah, Robin. I was only just going to add to what you said, but when I was in advertising, right, if you worked in the car industry on advertising, you were a car guy. You couldn't possibly go and work on something else. You couldn't go and work on Nike or something like that. And it was a, it's a complete nonsense. Of course you can. You know, skills are transferable. So uh, yeah, we, it, it's not just in the sports world; it's in it's in all industries I've been involved in for sure. Love that point, Robin. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to save uh, Francisco and, and Graham's thoughts on this question because I want to move on to the final question here, um, and it's a question that I want to pose to you all. Um, I think quite an important one is how would you say uh, how important diversity and inclusion is when building a culture of innovation, and what steps can companies take? to ensure that they're building a diverse and inclusive workplace. Um, we're going to start with um, Graham for your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think um, well, it's, it's clearly very important for, for lots of very, you know, for lots of very important reasons. Um, but I think in terms of innovation as well, I think just having those different, you know, different people from different backgrounds obviously bring different opinions to the table. And I think all of that is extremely important when you're trying to build and solve problems and and understand your customer or your clients and, and things like that. So I think that that extra element that, that people from different backgrounds can bring, bring I think, is priceless. Um, and I think, again, you know, how can we make sure it, it happens is it needs to be part of the process. It needs to be part of the hiring process and it needs to be baked into everything we do. So I think it's, um, yeah, I, I know progress is being made um, and there's there's obviously still a long, you know, a long way to go and certain industries are better than others and, and things like that. But I think, you know, that would be, that would be my thoughts about it. It's, it's extremely important for, to bring that kind of depth of thinking um, and um, an alternative views and opinions um and i think it needs to be just baked into the process perfect thank you Graham. Uh, francisco anything to add that well look I, I am going to answer with my own example so i was born in angola the civil war i managed to escape civil war in angola um and then i landed in portugal and then someone gave me a job as a soft engineer where, where i had no experience and they looked at me and felt that um uh, someone with no experience and uh, of a, of a, as as a black African, um, you know, I wouldn't be where I am now. And I came to UK and 22 years ago. I couldn't speak English, so I wouldn't be able to be take part of this podcast. And again, someone gave me a job as a software engineer uh, in an agency in Bedford. Um, and and so um, I, I think um, and 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 I I have not been to university. I write AI algorithms, which uh, I have exposed some of our AI algorithms to PhD. Um, um, professors and they can't really understand how, how it works, uh, but they do work and work very well. Um, and I think, um, and that is really, um, 
it has to be, I, I, I agree with Graham, it has to be proactive. Someone needs to make that sort of deliberate and actually say, actually, let's stop. You know, is there someone that we don't think it fits the bill um, that we could potentially, you know, not, not give it a chance for the sake of thinking we give it a chance, but actually, you know, uh, give it an opportunity. And, and that is where sort of um, uh, uh, everyone from a, from a diverse and minority background needs is an opportunity, sort of not, not sort of the, not 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 a, a a given sort of a and let's give them a chance but it's, it's an opportunity and and and, uh, and we do the same thing in team sports and everything we do how we pick images how we choose our colors how we dilute our brand which was a, a very dark red and everyone said this is only for male athletes it's like no actually you know we can go with a with orange and we 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 don't care about these things as long as we sort of bring everyone along the journey we could have made our AI algorithm a lot simpler and a lot faster, but we made it so that if you are sat on a wheelchair, you still can use our AI algorithm to, to exercise and do some of the same exercises that a basketball, able basketball player can do. And so that is a deliberate approach to say, actually, we don't have to stop here. You know, we need to think beyond the able bodies. You know, what about the people that don't even think sports is for them? And, and that goes from hiring, from from how you uh, build your brand, from how you build your product, from how you design your logo, from how you speak uh, out there. In, 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 it, it has to be everywhere. Otherwise, it becomes a bit of a, a PR stand, sort of, you know, sort of one direction. So you can tick a box and, and, and that is um, that, that doesn't work really at all. Francisco, thank you very much for sharing your, your story there. Really, really appreciate it. Um, AJ, any thoughts on, on my question? Yeah, so... Again, uh, one of the most uh, fulfilling and rewarding experiences for me was when I came to the UK for my MBA at Cambridge. So that's like 45 plus nationalities crammed into a 200 cohort. So that's still like a lot of diversity altogether. While that was not initially was not the most efficient way to go about all the projects that we had, but because you're navigating cultural differences, life experiences, but in the end, it became a source of huge strength and inspiration when working with uh, on projects of global scale. So sports is global fandom is global and having a team that celebrates and encourages diversity is not just the right thing to do at a human level which is which we all can agree to but it's also probably the best decisions you can make as a company when dealing with an industry which is so interconnected globally so and it's also uh i do feel like in many cases when it comes to startups especially when startups come from a certain geography etc we always kind of say that we will deal with this problem later Let's first get the product on the road. Let's get our initial successes in. We need to have a team that can work well with each other. But that is a thing that's very specific to startups because it's a lot more easier to implement in larger, larger companies. But I think that needs to change. It needs to be something that, yeah, this is a problem uh, that we can obviously sidestep. Uh, sorry, an opportunity that we can sidestep. But it is not something that should be done at that particular, st uh, particular stage of your growth and kind of invest that time, put that decision in that we will be built for uh, giving everyone an equal opportunity, despite where they come from or what languages speak. So yeah, that's that's my bit on this. Thank you, AJ. And finally, Robin, any thoughts on that? Yeah, actually, I want to pick up a little bit on uh, Francesco's journey. I, sadly, we have the Ukraine-Russian war. A number of our engineers are Russian. So they can now be found in Vietnam. They can be found in Turkey. They can be found in Georgia. They can be found in other unknown locations because 
guess what? They didn't want to go to war because they're engineers. They're not fighters. Um, so they left. Uh, but, and we've managed to find ways to pay them. We've managed to find ways to stay in touch. They carry on the work. They haven't, they haven't missed a beat. Uh, it has been tremendous because although, you know, my business partner is American and therefore we're an American company, uh, we have more people outside of America than we have inside America. And, you know, we don't have a diverse, we never set out to have a diversity program, but we seem to be quite a diverse group of people. But it's not only internal, it's external because our clients, you know, we work in more than 100 countries. So, you know, last night I'm on with someone from Ireland, someone from Hungary, someone from Austria, someone from Mexico. Um, and it, it, it changes it changes every day. And so we, we get our cultural knowledge diversity from not only internally, uh, but but also externally. So, you know, that's that's very important for us. Thank you, Robin. Really appreciate that. Um, so, you know, four fantastic questions um, and everyone's given their thoughts on them. Uh, and then the, the little uh, question for at the end, I, I appreciate everyone's thoughts and input on that today. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, so that was today's Evolution Exchange podcast. Our thanks to our guests that will be listening and sharing their views as well with us. Uh, we'd like to thank you all for listening and I hope you can join us again next time.